word. Amen. In chapter 21, here are the words that I want to read to you. In verse 15, so they had eaten bread. When they had eaten bread, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Then he said to him a third time, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? Now drop down to verse 30. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is it? Who is the one? Who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, But Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If I will that he remain till I come, mind your business. What is it to you? You follow me. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We bless you. We thank you for all that you've already minister to in our hearts, and God, may we be ever that pliable putty in your hands, for you are the potter and we are the clay. Father, continue to mold us and shape us and conform us, that we will be like Jesus. We pray this in his name, amen. 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 For those of you who found verse 30 in chapter 21, I don't know what Bible you're reading. Amen, amen, amen. But I meant verse 25. When I was growing up uh, many centuries ago, the surest and quickest way to get real embarrassed was to find yourself in the room with a bunch of grown-ups. If the adults did not notice that you were there, they would start talking, and my lip would start to dropping, because <laughs> I was in full listen mode. Once somebody recognized that you were in the room and you were a child, they would say quickly, get out of here. Grown-ups are talking. Mind, mind your own business. Without another word, you knew exactly what to do. You got to step in. Grown-up people's business was off limits to children. What's interesting today is minding other people's business has become a multi-billion dollar industry. We love keeping up with the latest juicy news about our favorite actors, singers, rappers, athletes, and other Christian celebrities. We have celebrities in the church. I was kind of astounded to discover that the singer Beyonce has 116 million followers on Instagram, and Arena Grandi, Ariana Grande, thank you, Ariana, has 117 million followers, and I heard that Drake had billions of 
live streams and people following his music around the world. I've watched grown-up men in the barbershop nearly come to blows, arguing about the details of their favorite rappers' lives. Now, the question is, what makes the life of a star and people that we find interesting and we admire so significant and important to us? Why do we want to know what is going on in the lives of other folks? Well, I don't want to get too deep about it. There are articles, there are books written about it. But really, the truth be told, we suffer from the greener grass syndrome. The grass always seems to look greener in somebody else's backyard. But we later discover when you end up in that backyard that it was artificial turf. <laughs> the talent and the status of others make us think that they are different and different means more than, bigger than, better than. That's why reality TV shows are so prolific today. And why do I want to know about what's going on in your life? Because somehow your star status makes you, in my mind, significant. And when I talk to others about you, then because I know personal things about you, then others will want to talk to me. And if they want to talk to me, then I'm important. And then I might get liked on my Instagram or my Facebook or my Twitter, and it goes on and on. In John chapter 21, Peter struggled with the greener grass syndrome. The Lord was having a one-on-one. -on -one. Can you imagine? The, the resurrected Christ, after you have denied him three times, cut somebody's ear off, shanked them, fled and lied and cussed, said, I don't know the man, finds you, personally seeks you out for a one-on-one -on -one conference, and you become distracted by the life of another Christian, and you ask the Lord, what about him? What, what about her? What, what about him? And, and, and so the Lord said when Peter raised the question in verse 20, uh, verse 21, Jesus said, what is, it, what is that to you? Why is it your business what I'm doing in the life of another believer for my glory? Mind your business. That's what the Lord is saying. The Lord actually said, Peter, why is this your concern? We're going to see that, like Peter, we got enough to be thinking about. There are a couple things in our lives that if we could just tie our shoes right, you know what I'm saying? We wouldn't have time to be getting tripped up looking at somebody else's grass, somebody else's marriage, somebody who, who he dating, who she dating. Let me just share three things that are going to help us to keep our focus, to stay on task, so that we won't be dyslexic and we won't suffer from spiritual ADHD. We need, we need to know how to mine, because second class or second mile Christians, not class, know how to mind the business. Now, I didn't say that. The Lord said, what is it to you? Yeah. Why is it your business? That's so rude. Well, Peter needed that, and so do we. Yeah. Listen, that the, one of the things that we're going to consider is that you have a committed Savior. The reason why I don't need to worry about what the Lord how, how tall somebody else's flowers are growing and how nice their, their little uh, uh, house. Is. I don't need to know that because the Lord is committed to me. Just like he is committed to you, he's committed to me. I have a committed Savior. 
Secondly, you're going to see that you have a call on your life. The call on your life and my life are one and the same. We're going to see the, the, the way that ends up manifesting and, 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 and being, man, being exposed, that's, that's going to be different. They're going to be unique, unique characteristics. But we all have the same call. And finally, we're going to consider the fact that you need to avoid comparison. Stop comparing yourself with other people. Then you can not be concerned about what you shouldn't be. Now, before moving on, I want, to, I want to explain to you what I don't mean. When the Lord says, what is it to you? Mind your own business. He's not saying that it's Christians that we should not be our brother's keepers. The Bible clearly says we are our brother's keepers, that iron sharpens iron, that we should be accountable one to another, that we should pray for one another, confess our sins to one another, admonish, admonish one another. The Lord says that admonish and forgive and, and, and love. So. Be careful. We need to rebuke. If somebody's not walking right, we need, to, we need to challenge them about that. Go to them in private. And so when the Lord says, mind your business, what is it to you? It doesn't mean that you overlook the need for spiritual accountability. One of the things that you're going to find if you're a member of this church, you will be accountable. We will, we're not so concerned about seats in the pew or the benches, the seats. We're more concerned about you and your relationship to Christ. That is what the Lord tells us to do. You who are spiritual, restore. And so he's not saying don't care about other believers and don't hold each other. He's not saying that. But what he is saying is that we should not be involved in uh, comparing ourselves with other Christians our significance is not measured by who you are looking at in the church. He is saying that we should not be competing with other Christians to see who's the biggest, the best, at the biggest crowd, the biggest following, who sung the best, who dressed the best, who has the biggest house, who drives the nicest car. Of course, church folks don't think that way, but Jesus is addressing the potentiality of that kind of problem. He is also saying that we shouldn't criticize because people are different from us. Unfortunately, too many Christians need to find out what's wrong with you to feel better about them. I don't need to know what your weaknesses are to feel good about who I am in Christ. He's also saying that we should not connect ourselves by forming cliques to gain status. Cliques are developed in order for you to feel significant, to feel a part of something that is important. He says, don't do that. And so minding your business, does, what he's saying is, don't become a part of something to gain significance that ends up dividing the church. We have, we have, you have, and I do, a committed savior, and his commitment is in spite of what he knows about you and me. He is committed to you even though he knows every little dirty trick in y'all's life. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's look at a passage of Scripture in um, Luke chapter 21, I believe. I think this is Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. In verses 31 through 34, and here's what the Lord says. Just before he's getting ready to go to the cross, he says to Peter, who's thinking pretty good about himself, he, he's feeling pretty spiritual, he says, Peter. Notice he doesn't use the name Peter. He says, and the Lord said, Jesus speaking, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you. He's stalking me about you. That he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned, Peter, you're going to fall. <laughs> Strengthen the brethren. But he said to the Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. But Jesus said to him, I tell you, Peter, goes from Simon to Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you have denied me three times, denied that you know me. He is committed to you. He loves you in spite of what he knows about you. And the reason I know that he was committed to Peter is the first thing he does there are four things that he does. First thing, I'm going to just give you a list of what he does. First of all, he, ident he identifies who Peter really is. 
He's Simon. He's Simon. You got on the nice clothes and, and, and the church stuff, and, and you said all the right things, and you joined, you got your hand, but he still, he knows he ain't nothing but Simon. He also alarms him or alerts him. Then he shatters some things, and finally he reassures. He identifies him as Simon. He doesn't call him Peter. And we've had, there's another sermon about who Simon is. We're not going to go there today. Amen? But Simon represents who you are before you meet Jesus. He represents the Adamic part of us, the fallen part, the part that is unregenerated. And even when I trust Jesus as my Savior, as a Christian, the Bible says that the Spirit of God moves in and he puts to death the deeds of the flesh. And what that means is that the flesh, the Adamic part of me, the fallen part of me, it doesn't go away, but its, it's, its power is broken. I no longer have to live under the control of my old self. But because I'm now Peter, I'm now saved, I'm on the other side of the cross, that doesn't mean that Simon is gone. Simon is still present. And so what the Lord said, let me first introduce you to who I know you really are. You're Simon. He's saying to Peter like he's saying to us, the worst that there is to know, every thought that you had that you shouldn't have had, everything you looked at that you shouldn't have looked at, every conversation that you had that you didn't think anybody knew yet, every text message, Every image on your phone, I know your passwords. Every secret code, I know them all. I know why you have five separate emails. I know it all. Simon, I know you. I don't have to interrogate. You don't have to sit through no questioning and answer. I know who Simon. And so the first thing that the Lord does, he identifies. The fact that he knows who we are and he still loves us, that's commitment. I don't know about you, but I'm trying to cut loose some of the Simon up in me. But I can't even leave Simon if I wanted to, except for the fact when I'm yielded to the Spirit, I don't have to live under Simon's domination. He says, I know you. He identifies who we really are. We don't have to search for significance or value. The fact that the Bible says, when we were yet in our sin, when I was still running from God, Jesus voluntarily came from heaven to earth, and he who knew no sin became sin for me. He took the nails for you and for me. That's why he died. He died for Simon. And so he knows who we are, and yet that does not deter him from his love. Jesus also alerts Peter about the enemy's plans. He says, Satan has asked for you. You're on the menu. <laughs> he is he's stalking me for you. You are going to come under attack. He says, you will be sifted as wheat. And we're not going to get into all the specifics of that. What I want you to understand is that he doesn't do what a lot of preachers do on TV, talking about another level, another all that. But the truth is, as Christians, you are going to come under attack. Often what happens, because when we pray for this or that, pray for healing, pray for financial blessing, that we didn't get down at the casino. <laughs> or we pray for that husband or wife and it doesn't come. Then we question if the Lord is really committed to us. If he, commitment to the Lord means love. Does, does he really love me? I want you to know that the love of Christ is revealed through the alarm that he gives. You're going to be attacked so you can plan a strategy for victory. He's already, he said, put on the whole armor. You can win. You're going to be attacked. Weapons will be formed against you, but none of them will prosper. You will go through the flood. You will, but you won't be burned. You won't die. You're going to be attacked. That's commitment to let you know beforehand he tells you the enemy's plans. 
Satan will distract you, Peter. He will sift you. Satan will try to destroy your faith. That's the goal. When you're looking around and trying to figure out what God is doing everywhere else, and why am I not getting my hit? Why don't I have my husband? Why don't I have my car? Why don't I get my promotion? You're being sifted. You're being sifted. And the goal is the more that you're distracted, the weaker your faith is. The devil's trying to destroy your faith. That is the goal of the enemy, is to keep you from trusting the Lord. Faith is revealed through obedience. The evidence of your faith is not an abstract statement or a profession. It is an act in response. God said it. That settles it. Therefore, I'm going to do it. That's faith. Stay with me. He's committed. The Lord shatters Peter's self-confidence. Okay, Simon, I identify you. I know you. He said, well, wait a minute. You're talking about I'm going to be sifted as weed and say, come on, devil. I claim, I declare, and I decree. Peter says, if everybody denies you, I'll go to jail for you. I'll take a bullet for you. I'm going to stand up for you. I'll even die for you. And Jesus said, wait a minute. That sounds real good. Is he all right? Yeah! I knew he's all right! Oh, that sounds good. He's all right, he's all right. Good all the time. He said, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me just break it down to you, Simon. You're going to fail. Within a 24-hour span, you will deny me three times. Now, I'm not going to ever ask you if you fail, because if you say no, then you just fail because you lied. He said, but here's my commitment. He says, understand when you fail, fervent prayer. And the tense is, he says, I'm praying for you. It's in the present, it is, a, it, it, is, it is in the present continuous tense, and that's not right. But it's in the present, it is, it's what's called the pluperfect. He's saying that when you are attacked, you need to understand that I've already prayed for what you've been attacked with and who, who you've been attacked by. I've already prayed for you. But now that I have I already proved perfect that I've prayed for you in the past and I'm continuing to pray for you right now. You are going to be attacked. You will fail. But I've already prayed and will continue to pray as you're going through. He said, because failure is not final. Failure is not final. He says, you will return. You will be restored, and I will use you. That's my commitment. I'm fervently praying for you, and the, your failure will not be final. Aren't you glad that he's a God of second and third and fourth chances? Aren't you glad... That anybody that want to know what you did, you don't have to tell them because the Lord has taken your sin and removed it as far as the east is from the west. And when he put the sign where he says no fishing, he could also say none of your business. None of your business. He's committed. The Lord is committed. The Lord is committed to us. And Peter's life ought to be a testimony. When I was a, a young Christian, I really struggled with a couple sins in my life, maybe one or two. <laughs> I struggled. And I told you I've been, I've been greased down with oil from head to toe before manicures. I don't know what the, I've been, I've been poor, oil been poured on me, sprinkled on me, rubbed on me. I've been slapped and slain in the spirit. I've leaped single, I've leaped chairs in single bounds. I've run around the church. I've lied prostrate before the Lord for hours. I've been prophesied over in the King James uh, only version of the Bible and left that church and did the same thing that I told the Lord I wasn't going to do. That's my experience as a young Christian. I questioned my salvation. I, I felt like I need, I need to speak in tongues or something, because maybe that'll help me. That didn't help me either. I still 
struggled with Simon. I remember one night Simon got the best of me. And it wasn't the devil who made me do it. It was the Simon in me. And it had to be about 1230 at night. And I realized that I had to take my stepfather, his car on that following day. I was on college campus. And I looked in my pocket. And lo and behold, the car keys were nowhere to be found. Went back to where I shouldn't have been in the first place. The keys weren't there either. So now I'm searching the college campus for two hours. I'm sorry, Sister Benson. This was before I knew you. (laughs) And I am determined that I'm not going to pray because I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired of telling God what I wasn't going to do. God God doesn't want to hear me anyway. I'm too dirty. I'm too, too, too weak. And so I wouldn't pray. So I'm walking around at night at 2 in the morning trying to find these car keys and can't find them. Amen. You're still paying attention. Praise the Lord. And then I hear a voice just as clearly as I'm speaking to you. It was the voice of the Lord. The Lord said, you may forsake me, but I will never forsake you. And I looked down. Right next to my feet, there go my keys. I picked up my keys and went to the dorm, and I understood something about the commitment of Christ to me, that nothing will ever separate me from his love, which is in Christ Jesus. And so I don't have to question how valuable. If you had been the only one, he would have come. If you had been the only one, he would have shed his blood for you. That's the commitment the Lord has. My value is not based on who's sitting at my side. My value is not based on what is in my pocket. My value is not based on my intelligence or my degrees or my credentials. My value is in him who is committed to me. Peter, you will fail, but failure won't be final. You need to understand that. You can mind your own business because the Lord has got you. He's got you. Here's the second thing. You have a call on your life. In verses 15 through 17, Peter has denied Jesus three times. The last time when he was asked while he was warming his hands at the enemy's fire, if you know Jesus, someone in the, in, in the group said, your, your vocabulary gives you away. You walk with him. And he started cussing. And they said, oh, no, you don't know him. And once he did that, the rooster crowed, as Jesus predicted. And so the Lord, Peter, and here's what happens. The gift that the Lord gives us can be without repentance. So Peter is so devastated with guilt and shame that he decides to quit the ministry. So when you go back to the beginning of chapter 20, Peter this tell the other disciples, he said, I'm going fishing. And guess what they do? They follow Peter because Peter had the gift of leadership. Even when you're not repentant, people will follow you. And then while they were fishing, I want you to understand, when, you, when you're fishing and the Lord is not on board, you ain't catching nothing of value. The scripture said they fished all night and caught nothing, nothing. Then as they looked on the shore, they saw a figure. They didn't recognize that it was Jesus, and he was preparing a meal. One of the things I love about the resurrected body is that you're going to be able to eat. Jesus was cooking some fish. (laughs) And he tells the disciples to drop the net on the opposite side of the boat at the time where fish don't bite. But the net, the Bible says, was so filled with fish that it nearly broke. Then they knew it was Jesus. And I love Peter. He jumps out of his clothes, and he does a swan dive into the water, and he starts swimming towards Jesus for his one-on-one conference with Christ. And when he arrives in the presence of the Lord, the first thing the Lord does, I know you're hungry, boy. Let's eat. The Lord meets us where we are. Sometimes you don't need to hear a Bible verse. 
Sometimes you don't need to hear praise and worship. Sometimes you just need some fish. Sometimes you just need somebody to put their arm around you. Sometimes you just need somebody to sit in your presence. Sometimes you just need to know that God loves you right where you are. And then the Lord gives Peter one of the most unusual one-on-one interviews ever recorded in the Bible. This is not the kind of job interview that you ever want to have to go to. He asked Peter three questions. You don't get these kind of questions. The first thing he says, do you love me? You're going to be working for me, but the first question is, not are you loyal to me? Do you have the right? No, he said, do you love me? The question about do you love me has to do with motivation. We're going to check that out a little bit. The second question is, what are you willing to give up for me? That's sacrifice. That sacrifice. Watch the order. Until you love the Lord, you ain't sacrificing nothing. And then the third question is, are you willing to do what I say? Will you obey me? True disciples love Christ, sacrifice for him, and they obey him. You can't obey Christ if you don't really love him. And you won't, you won't sacrifice for him unless you... So the three, the, the, the sequential order, it starts with love that will lead to be evidence through sacrifice and sacrifice, which is demonstrated through obedience. Now watch this. The, the Greeks had multiple words for love, at least four. We have one, and we use it all the time. I love my dog. <laughs> I love my job. And yes, I love my wife and my family. Well, what do you mean? Do you love your dog the way you love your family? Do you love your job? So we use the same, what the Greeks had, four words. One was storge, which means the love that we have for our biological family. I, it's a because of love. Because you're my blood relative, I love you. Then there's the eros love. It's still a because of love, because you fine. I'm boy, you girl. We connect. I love you. Don't, ain't, don't gain no weight, no. But I love you, baby. So it's an eros love. But when Christ raises the question to Peter, he uses the highest form of love. Do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Sacrificially, in spite of, do you fully and completely love me more than these? He asked the question, do you love me more than these? What is your motivation? Why do you read your Bible? Why do you come to church? Why do you call yourself? Do you, do you do this because you love me? Do you love me more than these? The more than these includes the miracle. He just told them to drop the debt. In the, in, the, in the lake, and he got all, do you love me because of the fish and the chips? Do you love me because you're healthy and the doctor gave you a clean bill of health? Do you love me because you got healed even after the doctor diagnosed you with an incurable disease? Do you love me because of this? Do you love me because you've got a great job that pays your family's bills that you can pursue your ambition? I didn't say the Lord's ambition, but you can. Do you love me because of the money that I afford you through the talents that I've given you? Do you love me because of your marriage? You got a wonderful marriage. I thank God he ain't my husband. I love the Lord because look what he gave me. You got a great wife. You got a great husband. You love him because of what he does. Do you love him because of the, the, the attention that you get through the gifts that he gave you? Some people love the ministry more than they love God. And so the question is, do you love him because he's Jesus, or do you love him because of the, the things that Jesus does? Do you really love me? Do you really love me? What, what is your first love? Where is the Lord in your scale from 1 to 10? 
Is he five? Is he a two? Is he a one? We always, oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus because he first loved me. Do you really agape him? Is he really at the top of your list? Three times, two times he said, do you agape me? Feed my sheep, tend tend to my lambs, teach them and feed them. Do my work, but the work can't occur until worship starts. Love precedes labor. You can't really labor for the Lord until you love him. But each time Peter answers the Lord, he uses another Greek word. The Lord said, do you agape me? He says, yes, Lord, I phileo you. Three times. I'm into you. I got strong feelings for you. I like you, Jesus. We can date. We can, we can, we can hang out and I enjoy being around you, but he never says, I agape you. And when the Lord asked him the third time, he doesn't use the word agape. He says, do you really phileo me? Do you really see me as a friend, as a buddy, as a tag along, as somebody you could take or leave? Here's the good news is that this was between Peter and the Lord. And so Peter was flat out honest. He said, Lord, the truth is, that my love for you is really shallow. It's conditioned on what the, these things. Because as long as Peter wasn't in danger, as long as he didn't have to make a declaration, as long as he could use a switchblade, as long as he could operate in Simon's strength, yeah, I love that kind of Jesus. And then the Lord, here's the amazing thing. The Lord said, even when Peter was saying, I don't love you 100%, I'm not full in. Jesus says, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs. I want you to understand that the Lord ain't fooled by our external veneer. He sees the genuineness or the the counterfeit of our love. He sees if it's full or if it's incomplete. Guess what? All of us should be growing in our love for the Lord. None of us are full in. That's the truth. Come on, let's be honest. Now, and as you study the life of Peter, by the time he comes, he's full in. He's full in. But that's not where he was when Jesus gave him the interview about whether or not he should get his ministry back. But he was honest. The first time, if everybody forsake you, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm de-. No, he was all in himself, lying to himself. And now he's telling the truth. And when the Lord asked him the third time, the Bible said he was grieved because the Lord is saying, this is how you really love me. I want you to know that the reason why so little that is significant is happening in the church today. The church is on every corner. It's because we're not full in. We don't love him like that. He's all right. We, we cool with Jesus. I got strong feelings about him, but I can go days without praying. I can go days without reading the scriptures. I can go days without ever sharing my faith. I can go days and never even think about the Lord unless something happens. And so he says, do you love me? What is your real motivation? Some years ago, long before I met my wife, my first love was a sixth grader named Gwendolyn Green. I love that girl so much that I didn't do my work most of the time. I'd be staring at her. She just held her pencil the right way. And One day I got up enough courage, I'd never written more than a page, a paragraph most. I wrote a whole page and a half to, to, to give to Gwen to show her how much I loved her. And I gave her my love. I put it in an envelope. I gave it to her. And I was like, I mean, if she had blown, I would have fell on the ground. (laughs) I wanted her to be very clear that I was was committed to her. I, I loved her. I was all in. This was full love. This wasn't because I just loved being around her, loved looking at her. I don't even know if she had on perfect. I just loved the smell of Gwen Green. So going down to lunch, well, I was going to get a chance to finally get Gwen's response. She had about four of her girlfriends with her, and she walked up to me, and she took my love letter 
out of the envelope. She held it up. She began to rip it apart. One piece at a time fell, and it as if each one hit my shoe. <laughs> she might as well hit me with a boulder every time. It's just cutting my heart out. But even though I felt devastated that she didn't feel for me the way I felt for her, that didn't change the way I felt. Have you ever told somebody how much you love them? They look like you, looked at you like you're crazy. They didn't respond in kind. That's what Peter did to the Lord. The Lord says, my love letter is what I did for you on the cross. I hung there, and I died, and I suffered. They put a crown of thorns on my head. They beat me. They spat on me and my blood for you. That was my love letter. But when you say I, I have emotional feelings for you, you might as well tear my heart out. That's where Peter was. And he wasn't talking at Simon. This was him and Peter. This was a level of spirituality that Peter had grown to. You have a call on your life. This has nothing to do with your gifts. This has nothing to do with your status in the church. Do you love him? Here's another part of that call. Will you serve him? Will you serve him? Sacrifice. Um, notice he says, more surely I say to you, when you were younger, speaking to Peter, you girded up yourself and you walk wherever you wished. But when you are old, you will be stretched, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you, and you will carry, they will carry you where you do not wish. And here's what he was saying. He says, this is what the verse interpreted. He said, this he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. Peter, are you willing to sacrifice for me? He says, you will. Because Peter ultimately comes to a place where he was willing to stand up. And you know the story on the, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and et cetera. So he says, Peter... You will sacrifice. So the second question is, how much are you willing to release to the Lord? What are you holding that if the Lord asked for it, you wouldn't give it to him? Who is your Isaac? Who is your Isaac? Here's the danger. He, and he says, Peter, here's what happened. He said, Peter, you are going to die for the cause of Christ. And ultimately, tradition tells us in history that Peter not only was crucified, he refused to be crucified vertically. He was crucified upside down. He said, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same position that the Lord. So he went from being the friend of Christ, being, being, being infatuated to somebody who actually agape. He died on the cross upside down. But he was willing to give. Are you willing to? Are you at a place in your walk with the Lord that if it required giving your life, would you? Most of us would give our lives for our children, for our wives. But do you love the Lord enough that if it caused you to give up your, your ambitions, your dreams, your vacation, your, the vehicle that the Lord just, what are you willing to do with the vehicle that you have, the house that you have? It belongs to the Lord. Everything that you have comes from his hand. Here's the interesting thing. This is the dangerous thing. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more we are looking for comfort. The older we get, the more we're looking for less to do. I was thinking about, I got a lot of tread on these tires. I've been in this thing for a long time. But here's what the Lord says to Peter. The older you get, the closer to the cross you will become. <laughs> Comfort's not waiting for us. Vacation is not what I'm looking for. That's not what the finish line would look like for me. I'm not pressing towards the mark of vacation and, 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 and retire. That's fine. And why, what is that going to do? That's going to give me more time, opportunity to live for the Lord, more opportunity to serve the Lord. I was talking to someone about getting to church, and they're going to be about a couple hours away. They said, they're going to get here. I said, how are you going to do that? He said, if the Lord died for me, what's a two-hour ride? 
We don't think like that. We're trying to figure out how we can make it easier for us. The Lord didn't take it easy. He died for you. What are you willing to sacrifice? He said, Peter, the older you get, the more you walk with me, the closer to the cross of death you're going to get. And so I'm running towards working for the Lord in such a way that by the time I get into heaven, I will be so exhausted from serving him that I will fall into the Savior's arms. That's what it means to love him with all your heart, mind, soul, and body, that you break a sweat for the Lord. I'm not looking for no easy way. I'm not looking for no shortcut. I'm looking for what can I do for Jesus that he will be pleased with. He says, will you follow me? Are you willing to obey. Are you willing to obey? That's what he asked. And then I believe after Jesus said, are you willing to do whatever I tell you? May not make sense. May not be what you want. But will you follow me? And, and I believe after Jesus asked that question, he took a few steps. In verse 19, you see that? Will follow me? And Peter may have started to walk after Jesus, but look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple who Jesus loved. And so instead of following Jesus, he turns around to look at another disciple. He starts comparing himself with another disciple. Let me show you how I I discovered that. We're done. We're done. Are you still with me? He turns around, and he saw a disciple that, he says, who Jesus loved. Jesus had just told him, when you return, I'll restore. But notice the emphasis. Jesus loved. He sat in the bosom. He had his head in the bosom of Christ. He's the one who informed, asked Jesus about the question. John was the disciple that was at the cross. John was the one who Jesus gave his mother's care to. And so what happens when we compare ourselves with other Christians, we emphasize all their strength. He's the one that Jesus loved. He's the one that was in Jesus. Jesus' He's the one who told him about. And so he's focusing on John. He can sing. I can't. He he has all kinds of gifts. She has all kinds of gifts. But I know Jesus can't love me like he loves me because I don't get to do what they do. He turned around rather than follow Christ. He saw another disciple, compared himself. What about him, Lord? Focusing on others requires that you turn turn away from following Christ. So when you're looking at me to compare yourself to me, you're not looking at Jesus. Focusing on others distorts your thinking. You start thinking about all of the positives, as I've already shared. Focusing on others causes you to compete. This is why in the church we're listening to who gets the loudest applause. Who has the biggest following? Whose class is the largest? Who's the, that's what that don't happen here, of course. I mean, church. But when you compare yourself to others, you're going to be competing with Christians. What choir sounded the best? Did you see their robes? Oh, my goodness. And the way they were stepping, and they were all in sync. The 1,000 women for Jesus in purple and gray. Did you see the deacons in their white? Did you see all of them were wearing gold teeth the same day? Did you see how they all jumped in sequence to high five? And did you see them march in the church? And nobody was out of step. Oh, my. But the other choir, man, they sound terrible. Here's what Jesus does to that kind of focusing on other people's business instead of your own. We got a lot of stuff that we need to be working out. We we need to get our love for the Lord right. Jesus reminds Peter that I'm in charge. He said, if I will, if I decide that John will live until I come back, why does that concern you? I'm in charge. I'm the one who gives orders. I'm the one who you should be obeying. 
He rebukes him. I want you to know that the Lord rebukes the spirit of competition. The Lord rebukes the spirit of competition of competitiveness. He rebukes the spirit of criticizing other believers who are not like that's a rebuke. He said, he's mine. What is it to you if I decide how I want to use him? That he had the larger church or the larger ministry. Or the, why does it matter to you? I'm in charge. It's none of your business. That's a rebuke. And then he re- redirects him. At the end, he says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Focus on what the Lord has told you to do. The Bible says it's required of a steward that you be found faithful. Stand with me. It is required of a steward that you be found faithful. It is required. He says, you follow me. It's personal. Say it's personal. Personal. I lived at 2307 North 32nd Street in Philadelphia. I'm the oldest of nine. My mother raised three of my cousins, so there were 12 of us. They, we didn't all live in the house at the same time. My mother decided to have more babies after we got old, I got older. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but when she would leave the house, she would say, clean this house. She didn't play. My mom was crazy. <laughs> Parents were crazy back then. They just, you didn't mess with them. There was no such thing as child abuse. And so she would never tell us when she was coming back. She just said, and we all knew our assignments. And she had a way of just popping up when you least expected it. And she expected the house to be clean. And so what she would do was go to each specific assigned area. And you couldn't say because the rest of the house was clean. The house is clean. No, your area. That's not your concern. That's not not your assignment. Your assignment is to do what I told you to do. But here's the way this thing worked. If one person did not do their assignment, we all suffered. Nobody could go out. But the one person who made everybody else have to stay in got a special gift called the leather strap. And my mother didn't have discipline with it because she would, she just swung it like a whip. And just, I mean, whatever she hit, I mean. But the point was this. I could not expect for her to overlook my assignment because of what someone else had done. I would get credit, but the, what happens is when some person in the church is so busy looking at somebody else's part of the yard instead of doing theirs, the whole church suffered. But on a personal level, you do not grow. You do not become what the Lord has determined for you to be. And so I want to say very politely to you as the Lord was not as polite to Peter. Mind your business. What has the Lord called you to do? That's your business. Get about the Lord's business. Somebody say amen. Amen.